Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today on the podcast, we're talking about voter suppression. And we have someone who is in the middle of it right now. That's Stacey Abrams. Stacey ran for governor of Georgia. If she would have won, she would have been the first African-American woman to be governor ever in the United States. But she did not win and she did not concede she is taking the fight for voter suppression further, and we'll talk to her about that next on It's All Political. Stacey Abrams, welcome back to San Francisco. Welcome back to It's All Political. Thank you for having me again. So you recently ended your campaign to be Georgia's governor, but you did not concede to your Republican opponent, Secretary of State Brian Kemp. Uh, you didn't concede because you said that, to, this is a quote, to watch an elected official who claims to represent the people in the state baldly pin his hopes for election on suppression of the people's democratic right to vote has been truly appalling. Concession, you said, means to acknowledge an action is right, true, or proper as a woman of conscience and faith I cannot concede. Tell us why you said that and where you go from here. I said that because we, on November 6th, realized that the election was still very close, that we had an opportunity to count more votes and a responsibility to have those votes counted. On that night, instead of either commiserating or conceding, our responsibility was to demand that every vote be counted because we knew at that point people had been standing in lines for hours. They'd been denied ballots, provisional ballots, absentee ballots, that there had been a host of not only mismanagement, but malfeasance. And we did the work. We worked for 10 days. We had four different legal suits that were settled either wholly in our favor or partially in our favor. And votes were counted. But what we found at the end was that there was no way to actually attribute fully the number of votes that could or of or should have been counted. And while there was no mechanism through which I thought I could viably continue my campaign, I mean, certainly I could have filed a lawsuit, but I did not believe that it would be appropriate uh, given just the entanglement of bad actions. I wanted to acknowledge that the the election was over, but I also wanted to call out the fact that the fight for fairness in our elections was just beginning and that I would be a part of that. And so do you attribute your loss to this, to the votes that were not counted or the votes you couldn't account for? I, I will say this. I am deeply disturbed by the process of our elections. We know that more than a million voters were purged, a number of them in unconstitutionally. We know that thousands were denied access to ballots, did not have their absentee ballots counted. We know that depending on the county you were in, your right to vote was either prescribed or denied. And I cannot know what would have happened. I cannot know what the final outcome would have been had this been a free and fair election. And my responsibility as a public servant is to guarantee that no one else has to live with the uncertainty. No one else has to have the specter of what could have been hanging over them. We should know 
definitively what happened and we don't know in this election. And that's why I'm going to fight for more. Let's talk before we get to the organization you're, you've founded or you're working with uh, that, that's going to look at some of those issues. Let's talk about some of this, the voter suppression that went down in Georgia. Um, and you're like Kemp's office. Remember, it, for our listeners, the person that uh, Stacey Abrams ran against was the secretary of state, the person in charge of the voting system. I, so I ran against both the player and the referee. <laughs> yes, that is an interesting that is an interesting challenge. So uh, his office held up fifty three thousand voter registration applications, and he said that he felt held them up because of they didn't they violated something called an exact match. And to explain what an exact match is, you can please chime in here. Um, if the information on your on your uh, voter ID, your voter application does not match your um, essentially your driver's license or your social security card, uh, it could be a misspelled name, middle name wrong, uh, missing hyphen. It's held up. There's a gentleman named Del Rios. Uh, I think I can't remember his first name. Because the DMV in Georgia, uh, we call it the DDS, but because the D- Department of Driver Services does not allow spaces. They put his name on his driver's license as Del Rios, D-E-L, capital R-I-O-S. But his given name is Del space Rios as his last name. He was rejected because he or he was put he was put on hold. Now, it sounds innocuous enough. Well, you just prove that that's who you are, but prove it how and to whom. In the state of Georgia, you have 159 counties with volunteers and paid folks who independently have to subjectively determine that you are who you say you are. And that's presuming there's no other intentionality behind their assessment. The problem is we made it entirely too subjective. And it was unnecessary because Brian Kemp knew in 2015 that this was an unlawful approach. He was sued. And in 2016, 2017, he came to a consent order with a federal judge who said that this was an illegal system. And instead of complying with the fact that it was an illegal system, he simply got the legislature to pass it and let him do it again. And of those 53,000 applications that were held up, Mm -hmm. the Associated Press reported that 70 percent of them were from black Georgians. Yes. What is 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 tell us about this? There's an element of racism here, isn't there? Seventy percent were from African-Americans. Ninety percent were from people of color. What does that tell you? That means that whether the intent is racism, the result is racist. The result is that people of color are disproportionately affected by a system that has been demonstrated to be a false a false system that does not actually achieve the purposes for which it's intended. And that's part of the challenge. Those are the those are applications we know of. We have a host of other challenges. We, we filed a 66-page complaint that details the ways and the mechanisms used by the Secretary of State over the course of eight years to systematically disenfranchise voters and to do so whether the intention was racist or not. The result had re- very true and very clear racial overtones. And let's talk about some of these things, specifically what's, what's going on. At a number of uh, precincts in Georgia, there were precincts... The voting machines didn't have power. It's, it's, these are power quote, cords. Power yeah. cords. Yes. So wait, not even not even the power went out. The voting machines did not have power. They did cords. not have cords. It's as though you didn't realize there was an election coming up, and you might need to plug in your electronic voting machines. And where were the most of those uh, African American communities? W- and locations with uh, too few machines. Mostly voting communities machines. of color. 
and uh, an insufficient number of provisional ballots. Mostly in communities of color and low-income communities. So so this is all part of the lawsuit that was filed, the 66-page uh, report you, or uh, complaint you said. Take us to what uh, this organization, Fair Fight Georgia, is all about that you formed in the, or you helped form in the in the wake of this um, uh, of the election. So Fair Fight, uh, the overarching title is Fair Fight Action, but Fair Fight Georgia is a specific uh, approach we're taking. We are fighting to make certain that the voting laws of the state of Georgia actually increase and administer democracy. Uh, Brian Kemp has argued that because we had record turnout that somehow he should not be held accountable for any bad action, which is the most nonsensical argument I can imagine. Because the reality is people overcoming obstacles does not give you credit for their agility. It, you yeah. don't get credit. Yeah, how, many, for how many people were, you know, <laughs> like, you know, if you're frustrated, like exactly. I, the, my name isn't here, I feel and you're, it's exactly. an intimidating process it's for many people. Not for, I mean, for political nerds like us, we're going in, we figure we know the system. But for many people, it's it's well, it can, it's intimidating. You can go home. George is one of the states where you indeed get time off for voting, but you do not get paid for that time off. If you are a shift worker who has 30 minutes that you can afford to take and it's going to take you two to four hours, that's half your pay. You cannot afford to lose half your pay if you've got rent coming up, if you've got a child who's sick. And so you have untold number of people who simply gave up, who went online to make sure they could re- that they were registered only to find their name had disappeared, but they didn't know that the date they had to look was two weeks beforehand. Or the people who live in communities where there is no internet. And so their only mechanism for finding out that they aren't registered to vote anymore is to actually show up and vote. And it's the the host of those issues, but it's also the aggregation of those issues. Georgia is a state of 10 million people, six and a half million voters. The effect is so grotesque as to undermine the credence of our elections. Because a person who isn't sophisticated, who has not gone through this gauntlet, or who cannot afford the time it takes can become so dissuaded from the action that they simply give up. And so they don't simply not vote in this election. They don't vote again. Mm. And, you, and you've lost people. You've lost perhaps a generation. Um, let's pull back a little bit. Well, first of all, what, what is the goal that you want? You, it, so so what, Fair Fight uh, Action begins with the goal of forcing strong legal reforms to the systems of voting in the state of Georgia. We rely on the 14th Amendment, which guarantees due process and equal protection, the 15th Amendment, which guarantees the right to vote, uh, the Voting Rights Act, which, though it's been denuded through the evisceration of Section 5, still has some teeth. And the violation of the HAVA Act, the Help Americans Vote Act, which came in the wake of the 2000 election, as well as the Georgia Constitution that guarantees the right to vote to Georgians. We are asking a court to look at the the totality of bad action and to demand certain remedies, strongest among which removal of the exact match system. There is no fair way to administer that type of system. The systems that exact match is relying on are not designed for accuracy in that way. The Social Security Administration has absolutely no relationship to the Department of Voter Vehicles, and it is not intended to be used for this purpose. In fact, they have said this is not the purpose for which this database is structured. They're Everyone who's ever tried to get your social security card knows that you discover that your name was spelled a different way at birth and no one, including your parents, intended Mm, that. So that's a problem. It is to demand that counties be held accountable and actually treat everyone equally. In Gwinnett County, if you – there were two lines that said date. One was for your birth date. The other was for the date that you returned the ballot. 
but it didn't say birth date. So a number of people, especially new citizens, didn't know to put two different dates and they had their absentee ballots rejected mm-hmm. in Gwinnett, but not next door in Fulton County. And so it's making sure all counties follow the same rules. It's making sure that when you register, you cannot be purged simply for failure to vote. It is the American right to not vote. Voting pur- Voter purges are designed for people who are dead or gone. And the system that Georgia uses to determine whether you meet those criteria is a postcard that looks like basically junk mail that may or may not be read by the voter and could remove their ability to vote. And that's just a, a sample of the remedies. Do we know how many votes are possibly left on the table here in Georgia? We, we don't know. And that's part of the challenge because th- there's a gauntlet and you don't know where through the gauntlet someone falls off. Mm-hmm, so it could have mm-hmm. been at the very beginning when they were trying to find out if they were registered and they just didn't have the ability. It could be someone who go- went to their polling place and the polling place was shut down and they live in a rural county and don't own a car and going 10 miles means walking 10 miles and they simply went home. And so because we don't know, that's one of the reasons I don't want deter- to I don't want to speculate about what could have happened in my election, right. but I do know that the aggregation of the bad actions certainly affected the outcome of this election and will affect future elections. And and you mentioned a couple of things uh, where this is going to, um, uh, you mentioned the Voting Rights Act and HAVA. Um, what uh, what you're doing in Georgia or trying to do in Georgia, how could that be replicated in other states? Because voter suppression is uh, an issue all over, the, all over the country. One, we want to leverage this moment to raise to the national consciousness what voter suppression really is. Voter fraud sounds, it's a specter that's been pushed by the right wing for a very long time. And there is no minimal, minimal, minimal Minimal. voter fraud in the country. And if it does happen, it is so nominal as to not be nearly as effective as what we know voter suppression does. And so what we want to do is make sure that we raise the conversation. Number two, we want the legal remedies. Number three, we are going to put in place a pattern of behavior that we hope is replicated across the country. Uh, we know that when we fight, we can win. It will be harder. It will take a lot more time. But we cannot simply become complicit in our own demise because our democracy is at stake. One thing I talk about is that this doesn't just affect Democrats. Dan Gassaway, a Republican in the state of Georgia, is getting a do-over election on Tuesday because the same malfeasance that and incompetence demonstrated by the Secretary of State, uh, Brian Kemp, when he was Secretary of State, under his work there are thousands of ballots that were issued that did not have his name on it. And he was able to pull out plat maps. And most people don't even know where to go get those. But he was able to oh – he had to go through plat maps and prove that voters were supposed uh. to be in his district. So this is a nonpartisan fight. Yeah. And we have to expand the conversation so that people know it's not about Democrats or Republicans. It's about voters. It's about being Americans. Our right to vote is not secure in the United States of America right now. What do you th- where are you on a voter identification card? Um, this is something that comes up uh, all over the place. Um, what's what's wrong with it? You know, I know some people don't drive, or some people, you know, maybe you know don't have other forms of ID. What would be wrong with having having uh, issuing like a state ID so people can vote? What's what so, are the pitfalls on that? So let, let's take a step back. This is a false narrative that gets pushed by the right or those who believe this is necessary. Voter identification has always been required. What has not always been required is a limiting of what what constitutes ID. Mm -hmm. And so what happened in recent years, Georgia was one of the first states to push heavily voter ID along with Indiana in 2006. Before then, you had to provide some proof of ID, but that proof was commensurate with where you lived and who you were and what your economy was. So it could be 
a, a utility bill. It could be a lease. It was something that proved that you were who you said you were, but it wasn't something that required extra hurdles to make that proof possible. If every state at its own expense guaranteed access to an ID and did the work of guaranteeing that ID, that's a different conversation. But what we're dealing with in states like Georgia, a family, a woman who is 94 years old, who was born in a shack and did not have a, a birth certificate filed for her, mm -hmm. she cannot meet all of the steps necessary to meet the current standards required to get a voter ID. So she's essentially disenfranchised. She's disenfranchised. Yeah. And that's the problem, that the remedy does not allow for actual action by the people who are the most likely to be impacted. And so no one's saying that you should not have to prove who you are. What we're saying is that proof should be reasonable and available. If you think about what happened in North Dakota, the fact that Native Americans were disenfranchised, that should that's a stain that it's it piled upon other stains in our, our nation's history. But to say that they have to provide a written uh, physical address when we know reservations by their nature do not provide that. They, they created a standard that they knew could not be met. That's what disenfranchisement looks like. That's what suppression looks like. I want to get your take on two other things having to do with voting uh, in, uh, in other states, and one of them including here in California. We heard uh, Paul Ryan, the speaker the other day, talk about the bizarre practice of ballot harvesting. Now, for our listeners who, who don't know what that means, ballot harvesting is uh, entirely legal. Uh, this is the first year that it's been in place in California. And basically it means that if, uh, let's say, and I was with people who were canvassing door to door for reporting, and uh, they, you, if you fill out your ballot, you can give it to a campaign worker, you can give it to uh, someone else, and they, they uh, will sign you sign away your, you know, you both sign that this is okay, and you can, and that person can deliver it to the uh, uh, county, uh, whatever the county uh, registrar of voters. Um, th but there's doubt being seeded about this practice called what they they call ballot harvesting, and it's sort of a scare tactic. It's it's like sort of it's fear mongering, and we wrote a story about it the other day, kind of calling it out. Are you are you been following this and uh, at all, and what how does this fit into some of the things you're working on? We have 50 states. We have in the 50 states 5,000 different ways votes are counted or allocated or determined. And that, I think, is a larger conversation that has to be had. I think that what it's emblematic of and what Paul Ryan was suggesting is that anything that actually increases the likelihood of people casting votes is somehow to be viewed with suspicion and dubiety. That's deeply problematic in a democracy. Now, there are those who would say, oh, no, we're a republic, we're not a democracy. We're a republic that operates using dem democracy to determine our leadership. And in that small d democracy way, we want the most people possible to cast their voices if they are eligible. And what we have seen repeatedly from those who oppose these operations is that they don't want most people to cast their votes. They don't want their voices lifted up. They benefit from a system that constrains access and constrains the voices of Americans. And that is inherently un-American. We have spent our, we spent generations expanding the franchise. And unfortunately, there are those in power who want to restrict that franchise once again. As a woman, as a person of color, as a Southerner, I am very familiar with the attempt to constraints on access to the right to vote. And that is why Fair Fight is so important to me, because my mission is to expand the franchise to anyone who is legally eligible to vote. And that matters not just to Georgia, but to every state in the nation. And because this is all political, 
I have, it's never too early to ask this question. <laughs> <laughs> Will you run again? I am going to run for something again. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And it could be governor, it could be Senate, it could be you've undecided. I am looking at the entire landscape. This has been, it's still the same month as my non-win. So I'm late in asking I, that question, actually. I know, I know. And I appreciate your restraint, <laughs> but um, I guess it is the next month. So it's December. So I guess you, it's, a, it's a new start. And we have a, a guest questioner here, sure. a very spe- special guest. Uh, my daughter Cecilia is uh, is um, in this in the pod cave here at the Chronicle, and she has a, a voting related question for you. Sure. Hi. Do you think mandatory voting, like they have in Brazil, would stop voter suppression? I think mandatory voting is an interesting idea. I a few years ago got to spend time in Australia, where they also have mandatory voting. I think it can encourage democracy. I I will say this. I understand people who choose not to vote, who have seen elections come and go and their state of being does not change. Poverty doesn't change. The lack of access to resources doesn't change. And I want people to have the right to decline to be engaged. But I don't want that right to be stripped away from them. You should be able to decide you don't want to vote. You should not have that right taken away from you. Now, certainly, I think mandatory voting, I think everyone should want to vote, but I'm not yet at a place where I believe that that's the direction Georgia should take or the America should take. I do believe that it should be a, a federal holiday. I do believe it should be a guaranteed federal holiday with pay and that it should be illegal for any workplace to deny the right to any citizen to actually use that day off to vote. Stacey Abrams, thank you for being on It's All Political. Thank you for having me. This has been delightful. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Stacey Abrams for coming in. Thank you to the King, King Kaufman, for producing this podcast. And thank you to guest questioner Cecilia Garofoli. And remember, whether your vote counts or not, it's all political. It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli, J-O-E-G-A-R-O-F-O-L-I, or you can email me at jgarofoli at sfchronicle.com. Support It's All Political and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.